Welcome to Adventures in Jewish Studies, the podcast of the Association for Jewish Studies. In every episode, we take you on an entertaining and intellectual journey about Jewish life, history, and culture with the help of some of the world's leading Jewish studies scholars. I'm your host for this episode, Avishai Artsy. In this episode of Adventures in Jewish Studies, we're looking at the intersection of Jewish studies and disability studies. We're going to talk about everything from the story of Moses to the founding of the Jewish state through a disability lens. And we'll look at efforts to make Jewish life more inclusive of people with disabilities of all kinds. First, let's meet Julia Watts-Belzer. She's an associate professor of Jewish studies and disability studies at Georgetown University in Washington, DC. She's also a rabbi and a disability activist. As a scholar, my work really centers on the critical study of body, land, and power in late antique Jewish culture. So I'm bringing deep interest in the study of gender, sexuality, disability, and ecology to late antique Jewish texts. But I also work in contemporary Jewish ethics, and that's a space that gives me freedom to not just ask critical questions about the portrayal of disability in the past, but also ethical questions about the way that we might understand body politics, disability politics, gender politics in the present and in the future. And, you know, I try to bring all of those strands into my rabbinic work. In workshops, Belzer teaches biblical, rabbinic, and midrashic texts alongside short passages from disability activists, writers, and artists, such as disability and civil rights attorney Harriet McBride Johnson, the choreographer and dancer Claire Cunningham, who performs on crutches, and Alice Shepard, a wheelchair dancer. It feels powerful to bring in voices that have not often been a part of the classical canon. You know, and bring in voices who aren't necessarily even Jewish, and then invite contemporary Jewish communities to be thinking about how to take seriously, how to engage those voices and our complex textual heritage. There's something magical that happens. When we bring that kind of knowledge into conversation with text and tradition, it opens up possibilities. It opens up doors. It opens up new ways of imagining. Disability culture is absolutely in your face, luminous. And there's such spiritual power here. And so allowing that to quite literally dance with Jewish tradition feels to me like a gift, a gift to all of us and a gift to the tradition and also an invitation. The Torah and rabbinic literature are both deeply layered and Belzer approaches these texts with frameworks that help to reveal how Jews viewed themselves and God and their role in the world in biblical times and beyond. In her book, Rabbinic Tales of Destruction, Gender, Sex, and Disability in the Ruins of Jerusalem, Belzer looks at passages in the Babylonian Talmud that reveal how rabbis thought about the destruction of the Holy Temple and the violence enacted upon Jewish bodies. In their telling, the wounded or disabled body doesn't represent the shame of the Jewish victims, 
but rather the moral depravity of the Roman conquerors. We see the way in which rabbinic texts sometimes use disability here as a powerful challenge to Roman ideas of masculinity, virility, warrior culture, where dominance over the body is idealized. Instead, I think we see a different, some of these texts anyway, I believe we see an alternative kind of subjectivity and masculinity being articulated, where the ability to accept the wound and catalyze that into a source of insight, knowledge, and strength, often strength in the realm of Torah study rather than strength of arms, strength of war. It's an extraordinary moment where these rabbinic texts are working to flip the script and to use disability as a way to imagine an alternative way of being both in the body and in the world. The issues around disability are hardly relegated just to the distant past. Contemporary disability activists, such as Neely Breuer in Israel, are addressing these issues and how they affect real people every day. Breuer is an artist and performer and the academic director of the Center for Disability Studies at the Hebrew University of Jerusalem. She refers to herself as a Crip artist. Crip is uh, similar in a lot of ways to queer. It's a term that uh, was uh, negative and uh, the community itself transformed this term by identified through this label and see it as something that is more radical and uh, political, uh, trying to change society, but by not taking the more suitable, easy way to think about disability, but actually taking a more critical approach to it and referring to society as the problem needed to be changed significantly in its structure and not only doing small reforms, doing small changes. Breuer sees this critical approach catching on in Israel by reframing disability not as a target of pity and charity, but focusing instead on the problem of ableism, meaning the structural barriers that favor non-disabled people and how that affects us all. It's required us all to perform abilities and excellency in our life, in our study, in our work, in our physical abilities, mental abilities, cognitive abilities. We are all the time being measured to some ideal concept of how we should be and perform. And the disability movement trying to resist to it, but we are all victim of this uh, ideology and practice. Julia Watts-Belzer agrees Ableism is something we should all fight against. Ableism is brutal to all people. It is not good for anybody. Right? That sense that we are only as good as our last accomplishment, that we are always under pressure, that we have to be working at maximum efficiency, prove ourselves again and again and again, that's not good for anybody. Whether or not you currently have a disability, it's worth it to all of us 
to get involved in the work of dismantling and bringing down that system. Breuer says Israel has over time adopted the Western concept of ableism, while also rejecting what she calls stigmatized Judaism. Seeing the, the Jews as part of stereotype we need to uh, reject from ourselves and go beyond it to transform ourselves to something that is more complete and healthy. And uh, I'm thinking about the concept of the startup nation that Israel is proud of. We're trying to prove to ourselves and to the world that we have something to give to the world because we have these uh, unique abilities uh, in uh, the way we think, the technology we create. Physical strength was heralded in pre-state Israel as Jews reclaimed their ancestral homeland through manual labor. Take this 1935 publicity film called The Land of Promise. Yesterday, prisoners of the ghetto, prisoners of their own false hopes. Tomorrow, they will march to their work in the Jewish settlements to build roads, to quarry stones. They will drill wells and bring the hidden water, the most precious treasure, out of the depths of the earth to restore to Palestine's soil its long neglected fruitfulness. And I think it's an interesting move that the Zionist state, the Israeli state, uh, moved from the physical body as something that needs to be strong and healthy to a more healthy mind, if you want. The image of the soldier is very significant in the way that the Zionist projected the healthy new Jew. It's a symbol that have a lot of power still today. But I think that also in the army, we see a movement toward a better technology that protect us, that uh, need to give an edge to our army, to give an advantage to our nation against other nations or enemies that we need to protect ourselves from. In 1998, Israel passed a law of equal rights for disabled people, which promises the disabled, quote, active and equal participation in society in all areas of life. But disability rights activists say the country has been too lenient on regulation and enforcement. In recent years, activists have protested by blocking railroad tracks and highways, causing major traffic jams. Organizations like Nahe Lochetzi Ben Adam, Disabled Not Half a Human Being, advocate for raising the general disability pension and tying it to the minimum wage, but also for the right to housing for people with disabilities, the right to nursing and medical treatment, access to education and employment, and physical accessibility to buildings and buses. Neely Breuer says the movement has had mixed success. In some uh, level, there is uh, significant leadership of uh, disabled people and uh, also uh, family members of uh, disabled people that do think critically about disability. But I think that also the disability movement need to continue and transform in Israel. I think that physical disability still dominate this movement 
and mental disability and cognitive disability is uh, far behind. So I don't know if I can say the place that we are, are is the place that I want us to be. I'm still looking for the next turning point of the disability movement in Israel. After this short break, Moses, Ezekiel, and making Jewish spaces more inclusive. I want to tell you about a great podcast that just came back for its second season. It's called A Bintel Brief. The foreword turned one of the most historic advice columns into a fun, modern, conversational show. Each week, two very different Jewish mothers, Gina Green, a black writer and movement builder from the South, and Lynn Harris, a comedian, will come together with the Forward's archivist, Hannah Pollock, to dish on the dilemmas of Jewish American life, identity, culture, and politics. Both historic and conversational, a Bintel Brief is worth a listen, and it just might give you the advice you've been waiting for. You can find it anywhere you listen to podcasts. Back with Adventures in Jewish Studies. In the Bible, disabilities are found everywhere. Isaac went blind in his old age. Jacob walked with a limp after his wrestling match. King Saul suffered from depression. And Moses had a speech impediment, perhaps a stutter. Julia Watts-Belzer writes about that in her upcoming book, out in 2023, called Breath and Bone, Disability Politics and the Bible. There's a famous passage in Exodus 4 where Moses describes himself as kavod lashon and kavod peh. That's heavy of tongue and heavy of mouth. This is often taken by some classical commentators as well as many contemporary scholars as an indication that Moses had a speech impediment. Some traditional frameworks say that Moses was a stutterer. If we take a look at those early discussions in Exodus, Moses discloses his own disability when God calls him to speak to Pharaoh. And so Moses says, uh, no, you've got the wrong guy for the job, paraphrasing here a little bit. Um, I am not a man of words. In the ensuing conversation, God offers Moses what we might today call a disability accommodation. That is, God offers Moses a revoicer, his brother Aaron. Moses is instructed to speak the words to Aaron, and then Aaron will speak the words to the people. This is a really significant moment, I think, of divine recognition of Moses' own disability. Just before this happens, God says to Moses, who made man's mouth? Who made humans as they are? Uh, and so this is also a really powerful moment in which God claims disability as a part of the fabric of human creation. But as far as accommodations go, I actually think um, Aaron is the least revolutionary uh, because this is a model whereby Moses ends up 
adjusting his speech to mirror non-disabled norms. A little bit earlier, we see a very different approach. That is, God gives visual signs, a set of visual signs to Moses, signs that Moses will do in order to demonstrate his role to the people. That is an even more significant recognition of Moses's disability experience because God now is suggesting that Moses play to his own strengths, that Moses use the visual rather than just relying on the verbal. And so I would lift that up as a really striking moment of recognizing that access requires more than just accommodation to match the non-disabled norm. The Moses story is more than just some tale that happened thousands of years ago in the Bible. The Torah, as the key text of Jewish history and peoplehood, serves as a way for many Jews to make sense of the modern world. This particular story continues to resonate with both positive and negative overtones for individuals with disabilities. As a disabled person myself, that's always been a bit of an absence for me, a kind of weight. There is in contemporary culture such a strong powerful tendency to want to silence or look away from disability, to pretend it's not there. And so in that silence surrounding Moses's own disability, I wonder sometimes, right? I, I feel the weight of that sense that maybe others didn't recognize what God did. There's a striking moment near the end of a really striking contrast in Moses's story. If Moses begins the book of Exodus as a reluctant speaker, he concludes the Torah by delivering an extraordinary oration. The irony here was not lost on the classical commentators. But this is another place where it's a really mixed bag. There's a midrash in Tanhuma that imagines, right, that asks Moses the question, back then you said you are not a man of words, and now here you speak exquisitely. Does this mean that you shall learn Torah and be healed? Now that's a brutal, brutal message. One that imagines Moses's disability as erased through his experiences. And one that suggests that the only appropriate, good, desirable solution to disability is a kind of miraculous cure. I reject that and I reject that message. And furthermore, I feel it's such a devastating message to other people with disabilities, right? To, to hear that, I imagine Moses stuttering his way through the book of Deuteronomy and the community having finally learned to listen to and savor the sound of his stuttering voice. I think about what it means for Moses to embrace his own speech, to really claim 
the rhythm of his own true tongue. So yeah, I love to think about Moses stuttering his way through the entire beautiful recitation of Deuteronomy, stuttering without shame. Another passage in the Torah that Belzer writes about is the prophet Ezekiel's psychedelic vision of God. Ezekiel describes four winged creatures with the faces of a human eagle, lion, and ox that served as a type of chariot for the divine throne. Beside each creature was a gleaming wheel. He describes a wheel within a wheel and says their rims were tall and awesome and the rims of all four were full of eyes all around. Belzer wrote about this surreal description in an essay for Tikkun magazine called God on Wheels, Disability and Jewish Feminist Theology. It was so extraordinary for me one morning during Shavuot services when that first chapter of Ezekiel is chanted in the synagogue. I remember sitting in shul in my wheelchair. I have a deep, deep love of my wheels. Wheelchair for me is a source of joy and freedom and openness. And as the reader was chanting through this extraordinary description of the divine chariot, the luminous wheels, the wheels within wheels, I thought, God has wheels. And so I've really been loving playing with the idea of right, just sort of imagining God as knowing something about disability experience from the inside out. Um, because I think that helps uproot that deep assumption that disability is an aberration and something that is um, only a loss. There's a lot about disability that's difficult. There's a lot that is frustrating and challenging, but there are also things that are exquisite and beautiful and joyful. Jewish tradition has many teachings that could be applied to disability inclusion. In Pirkei Avot, a compilation of ethical teachings and maxims, we are taught, do not separate yourself from the community, and to therefore prevent anyone from being unwillingly excluded from the community. In Leviticus, we are commanded, you shall not insult the deaf or place a stumbling block before the blind. In the Mishneh Torah, we are told that when one sees people with disfigured faces or limbs to recite the blessing, blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who makes people different. I asked Neely Breuer if there is something specifically Jewish about the Israeli disability rights movement. Are they drawing from the Torah or from Jewish ideas of social justice? I don't know if we already are a Jewish movement, <laughs> disability movement, but I, I wonder if uh, we can become or we starting to become a more Jewish uh, movement in a way. I'm thinking that the disability rights movement is in some way influenced by Jewish concepts. Thinking of each of one of us uh, as a human being that uh, is created in Bezalem Elohim, 
in the image of God. Judaism and disability studies also intersect during one of the world's most horrific acts of genocide. During the Holocaust, the Nazis killed as many as 300,000 people with mental and physical disabilities in a euthanasia campaign called Action T4. And in Israel, we almost never talked about it. Uh, when I studied in, in school, it was the Holocaust day. And we have the ceremony and everything. Disabled people never mentioned. And we, when we learned about it in the history class, it was not included. And it's a shame because we're removing part of history that is also relevant for disabled people, Jewish disabled people in Israel, and also understanding how disability and uh, Judaism is connected through history. It's part of also the drive of, of Zionists to disconnect the Jewish people from the stereotype of Jewish as uh, ill people, queer people, people who are degenerated. And when we try to disconnect ourselves in Israel from this stereotype and this uh, anti-Semitic view of Judaism, of Jewish people, I think we also uh, disconnect this part of us in ourselves and trying to disconnect from uh, disabled people as a minority in, in our communities. Besides being a disability rights activist and artist, Breuer is the academic director at the Center for Disability Studies at the Hebrew University of Jerusalem. She's seen an increase in disability scholarship, especially in the past decade. I think that in Israel, the, you can see two, maybe three main disciplines starting to adopt disability more significantly. Uh, legal study, also social work, and also I think it's starting to be more significant in uh, education and thinking how a, a school can become more inclusive in their structures and practices. In, in addition, uh, you can see a beginning of, of writing and also a creation in disability art in Israel. And there is also a, a new project that I'm, uh, I'm uh, one of its uh, leaders that thinking about disability uh, in the Orthodox uh, Jewish context and community in Israel. And it's uh, to see the, how the Torah and the Halakha and the Jewish uh, text uh, can give us uh, a corpus to work with when we think about disability and to create new framework or uh, old framework and to take their advantages and see how they are relevant to our life today. In recent years, the movement for disability rights has made some progress in reducing the gaps between people with disabilities and those without in education, employment, income, access to technology, home ownership, and voter participation. In the Jewish world, disability rights advocates have called for the full participation of people with disabilities in religious and public life. That means making synagogues and other Jewish institutions more accessible with wheelchair ramps and braille prayer books. Though, says Julia Watzbelzer, that's just the beginning. There's a lot of things that synagogues and religious communities can do to 
build accessibility into our spaces. I think a lot of this requires a shift in mindset, a recognition that people with disabilities are already a part of our communities and deserve to have full, deep access um, to spaces. So for me as a wheelchair user, it's not just the ability to access the sanctuary, but also the ability to get up on the bima. Uh, so often, if wheelchair access is considered, it's a sort of second tier, backdoor kind of access. Happily, there's a lot of transformation happening here. We're seeing a lot of communities recognize that this is a justice issue. Um, it's also really crucial to recognize that it goes beyond just a ramp. I want to always think about cognitive access. I want to think about access for people with neurodivergence and neurodiversity, whether that's changing up the norms and expectations in terms of what happens within the context of the building. Maybe that's sensory friendly Purim. Maybe that's STEM toys available in the sanctuary. Think about Braille and large print uh, Sidurim. I think about captioning and ASL interpreters. I think about having culturally competent captioning. So it's not just the auto captions that get the English only, but give you also access to the Hebrew. I think about, you know, all of these things. And then I want to say what I'm describing here, these specific strategies feels like the floor and not the ceiling. When I talk about access, what I mean really is what do people need to thrive? What do people need in order to be rooted and nourished, to be honored, to be known, and to have the capacity and the space to be deeply in the midst, embedded in every aspect of community, to be leaders in community, whatever that looks like. The work of inclusion has taken on added resonance with today's public health and ecological crises. The COVID-19 pandemic has disproportionately affected people who are immunocompromised and face greater risk of severe illness and death. And the climate crisis, with increasing heat waves, fires, floods, and extreme storms, is taking a greater toll on those who face mobility and health challenges. Belzer says that Jewish communities as a whole gain from creating spaces that are accessible and inclusive, from rethinking how they pray and revising stories that they may have grown up with, to creating physical spaces and a way of treating others that makes everyone feel included. I firmly believe that the Torah that emerges out of our lives, disabled people's lives, queer people's lives, trans people's lives, the Torah that's being taught by Jews of color, the Torah that is emerging through this rigorous, luminous, beautiful engagement between tradition and often excluded identities is doing revelatory and revolutionary work. And I firmly believe that it is good for the Jewish people to inhabit a world where we learn and teach and recognize and cultivate the fullness of that Torah. I like to say, you know, if Torah has 70 faces, one of them is yours and one of them is mine. 
and we will never know the fullness of this tradition and its possibilities until we know the Torah that each of us have to teach. I want a Jewish future that has room for all of us. I want a Jewish future that is absolutely lit up with the brilliant, vibrant insights of queer, feminist, disabled Jews and all of our allies and co-conspirators. Adventures in Jewish Studies is made possible with generous support from the Sal O.W. and Jeanette M. Barone Foundation. I'm Avishai Artsy. The executive producer of the podcast is Warren Hoffman. The Association for Jewish Studies is the world's largest Jewish studies membership organization and features an annual conference, publications, fellowships, and much more for our members, as well as public programming. Visit associationforjewishstudies.org for more information on what we do, to learn about joining if you're a Jewish studies scholar, or to find out how to bring a Jewish studies scholar to your community. Thank you for listening.